Straw Hut Media. I mean, personally, I think the best thing about being insects for me is kind of the purpose that it's given me um, and also the community that I found through being intersects. I personally feel like I've won a bit of a golden ticket, which is so interesting because I've managed to turn that completely around from feeling like, you know, why, woe is me, like, why me, why me when I was a child to now being, oh my God, I literally won the lottery here. Like, this is the coolest thing. Um, and it really, I really do feel like we're not like, this is misleading, but I do feel like I'm one in a million, you know? And I think that feels really lovely. I feel like I've won a golden ticket to, um, you know, the queer community, to all of my favorite people that I've ever met have I've met through doing activism or you know finding the community online and they're the most beautiful strong incredibly you know resilient people that I've ever met so that's one thing and I think it's it's just completely given like I said one direction to my life so again I can't even imagine just being like quote-unquote normal like I just think it's like so cool that we get to have these experiences that challenge us so much but from that challenge you know create so much like beauty from opposition in a way On October 26, 1996, the first U.S. public demonstration for intersex people took place at the annual conference of the American Academy of Pediatrics in Boston. Members of the Intersex Society of North America and their allies shared their pain in a very public way, denouncing non-consensual infant genital surgeries and demanding the medical industry take notice. We now celebrate Intersex Awareness Day every October 26th, followed by Intersex Day of Solidarity on November 8th. But even with two days of recognition, there's still a lot of stigma and misinformation surrounding intersex and what it really means. Today, we'll chat with Saifa Wall and Danny Coyle, two people who were born intersex. Saifa is a visual artist, a public health researcher, and co-founder of the Intersex Justice Project. Danny is a trained graphic designer, interface project creator, and is known online by her username at inter underscore sexy. In this episode, they'll open up about the variants of intersex, the conflicts that homophobia, heterosexism, and transphobia have on this community, and how we can bring change by advancing the conversation. Hi, this is Danny Coyle. My name is Saifa. And this is Pride. Danny is a 25-year-old influencer from the small town of Swindon in southwest England. I found out that I was intersex officially, like I was sort of, I don't like the word diagnosed, but I can't really think of a better one. Like I, I found out um, from a medical professional um, my intersex variation when I was 14. After keeping it a secret for nearly a decade, she came out in 2019 as intersex. But what does it mean to be intersex? Well, for one thing, it's definitely not black and white there are many variations of intersex. Some intersex people have genitals or internal sex organs that fall outside the male or female categories, such as a person born with both ovarian and testicular tissues. 
other intersex people have combinations of chromosomes that are different than XY, meaning male, and XX, meaning female, like XXY. Some people are born with external genitals that fall into the typical male-female categories, but their internal organs, or hormones, do not. Mine is called 17 beta hydroxy something 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 very technical. Danny was told she had 17 beta hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase 3 deficiency. This means she had male chromosomes, 1X and 1Y, testicles, but very low testosterone levels. You know, people can tell they're intersex, other people never find out they're intersex, other people find out um, they're intersex when they don't get periods, um, or if they can't have children. Yeah, there's so many ways, but for me, yeah, I sort of found out when I was, um, you know, going through puberty. And the kind of 10 years that followed that were really difficult because, um, you know, I'm sure the people in my life kind of thought they were giving me care. But in fact, every time that they were suggesting something, you know, to happen to my body, whether that would be surgically, hormonally, you know, all of that kind of thing layered on more and more layers of shame and stigma. You might think that since people are born intersex, that they would be diagnosed as intersex at birth. But in some cases, like Danny's, the person doesn't find out until they hit puberty. So sort of I grew up um, presenting and, you know, being raised as um, a female. And then when I hit puberty, I kind of went through a bit of a non-binary puberty, sort of, you know, things that weren't expected to happen to young girls were like weren't happening to me and then you know other things other crazy things it was all a bit of a wild ride anyway um so that is kind of how i personally found out i was intersex being born intersex is not rare in fact amnesty international reports that 1.7 percent of the world's population are born with intersex traits that's approximately the same percentage as the number of redheads in the world or the number of people with green eyes it also equates to um, the amount of twins so yeah, it really isn't rare at all. It's really interesting. Um, and there are just so many different variations. And um, like I said, you could be intersex and you'll just never know. Um, there are only like certain traits that actually even only ever come to light. So yeah, it is really not rare at all. Like Danny, our second guest Saifa, a black queer New Yorker from the Bronx, was also assigned female at birth by doctors. I feel like I was definitely a queer kid, right? Definitely a queer kid. Definitely like, you know, people would say genderqueer kid. Um, and I think what makes sort of ties in with um, just sort of my intersex story is that I was happy in my body, right? Like I um, was rambunctious. Like I would run around with my shirt off. Like I felt really good and at home in my body. And I have a particular variation, which is one of 40 intersex variations known as androgen insensitivity syndrome. Androgen insensitivity syndrome, or AIS, is when a person who is genetically male, who has one X and one Y chromosome, is resistant to male hormones, called androgens. As a result, the person has some female physical traits, but the genetic makeup of a man. I have two other siblings who have the same variation um, and they had not genital surgery but their um, testicles were removed in in infancy um, and they were also assigned female as well um, but my mom decided not to remove my testicles 
um, which they referred to as gonads. Um, but instead, she was just like, you know, I want my kid to, you know, develop on their own. And so I started developing as male when I was like, who probably like, like eight, nine. Um, my voice dropped when I was 11 and I didn't really understand the changes that were happening as my body was masculinizing, but I was okay with it. I also had like a lot of sort of groin pain um, as well. And when my mom took me to see a pediatrician at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, he made the recommendation that um, I have surgery. He told my mom that my gonads, that he referred to them as, were cancerous and that they had to be removed. Um, so I was castrated and put on feminizing hormones, um, which feminized my face and body, which for me at that time caused a lot of body dysphoria because I was okay with, well, with the changes that were happening to my body, but these changes brought on by estrogen and progesterone, I didn't want. And I think for me, that really informs my activism because, um, I feel that people should be able to make choices around what they do with their bodies. You know, I, I don't have any doubt that the people who were giving me care intended to do exactly that. But actually, a lot of the time, you know, when somebody's um, implying to change you, you kind of internalize that as, okay, well, something is wrong with me. Something isn't right. Um, I'm not you know, I'm not who I should be. I, there's something wrong, essentially. So it was kind of crappy for many, 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 many years. We covered the idea that intersex isn't black and white, but neither is gender. People believe that gender is binary and that there are only two opposite genders. But Danny says this is far from the truth. There is not just 100% men and 100% women. We all have like a different mix of testosterone, estrogen, like, uh, and that's just like, you know, sort of sex hormones. Like we're all so much more than that. Um, and, you know, there's so much m masculine qualities and feminine qualities and non-binary qualities in all of us. And it's just intersex people that are, um, you know, maybe not at the forefront of this, but we're so much more visible um, you know, and yeah, I think there's just so much confusion about us because people think that the binary is scientific fact when actually, as we all know, it's a social construct um, and we just completely disprove that and uh, it kind of ruffles up a lot of feathers. For anyone out there who's been sexually active and have seen different bodies is that there's so much variation in bodies, right? And I think what intersex teaches me, what trans identity teaches me, is that essentially there's so much variation in how our genders can be and how our sex could be. And I think we're limiting possibility when we actually physically and surgically shuffle people into one category or another. Um, and also intersex is more common than we think. You know, we get boxed into 1.7% of the human population, but how can we really know who has variations of sex characteristics? Just like, how can we actually know who is queer? How can we actually know who is trans or non-binary or genderqueer? We just don't know. We're just literally taking educated guesses. But sometimes our guesses are actually harming people more than they're helping people. Doctors told Danny that they could normalize her medical defect through surgery and hormone replacement therapy. 
If a child is born um, sort of with, you know, ambiguous genitalia, a lot of the time, I mean, that is the first question that most parents and doctors would, you know, is it a boy or a girl? And if, um, you know, it isn't clear, doctors can often recommend surgery to surgically alter their appearance to make it more visibly clear whether to raise the child as a boy or as a girl. Now, again, like, I think, you know, in theory, this is, you know, for care because then you wouldn't get, you know, bullied or you'd know where you sat or da-da-da. But in fact, it can just cause so much more harm than good, especially if that child then grows up to um, not identify with the gender that um, the doctors assumed they were at birth. Which is what happened with Saifa. When he had his testicles removed at 13, he didn't have the opportunity to give informed consent, an issue many intersex people face. I feel like for parents, I'm not a parent, so I don't know what it is to go through the birthing process to have children, to raise children. So I don't want to speak from that perspective at all. But what I will say is that I feel like from the parents that I have spoken to, it does create this emergency situation um, if a doctor presents to the parent that your child is not normal, right? Like I think the language of providers is around when it comes to intersex variations is about pathology, it's about abnormality, it's about not being like other boys and girls. And of course, it's going to create a lot of fear and panic in in expecting parents and parents who are new parents, even parents who have had many children. Um, And if those same parents have existing biases, it definitely creates a space where surgery is the only option. I think one surgeon is quoted as saying, if a boy, if an assigned male child cannot pee standing up, that he won't understand himself as a boy. Um, or that children with intersex variations will be bullied in school. It's a lot of prophesizing that reinforces the gender binary, but it also reinforces heterosexism. Um, the sort of looming fear that someone would be gay, right? That someone would be trans. And I think that's what really secretly motivates a lot of these surgeries, right? To, to create like, quote, men and women, to create heterosexual men and women. Um, I think a lot of the medicine around intersex people is like predicated on heterosexuality. Saifa says he turned down another surgery a year later because of how inhumane the procedures they were offering were described. It is a multi-step process, and it involves different practitioners. You know, we have pediatricians, we have endocrinologists, we have urologists. Urologists are the ones who do the surgeries. Endocrinologists often work with people who have intersex variations. So the one who made the recommendation for surgery was a pediatric endocrinologist. He's no longer living. His name was Dr. Akira Morishima. My surgeon, Dr. Hensel... Um, he, his, he was literally about doing the surgery, but what made it problematic and what I actually shared with him that wasn't caught on camera or wasn't documented on camera was that it wasn't too long after I was castrated, um, that I went for a consultation for genital surgery with my mother. I must've been... I think I was 
14 at the time. And essentially, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. We were in his office. It was me and my mom. She was seated to the right of me. He was seated across um, the table, across the desk. And I have a physical memory of him saying, he's like, you know, he did an examination first. And then he said that, well, what I'm going to do is that I'm going to shave down the clitoris and I'm going to create a cavity inside of you. Again, he said, I'm going to shave down the clitoris and create a cavity inside of you as if I wasn't human, as if I didn't exist. And although I no longer identify as a woman or female, I was a 14-year-old girl who didn't know what was happening to my body. And for a grown man, a grown cisgender white man, um, to say that to me as a girl was horrible. And my mom must have seen the look on my face, which was probably one of just wanting to vomit. She looked over at me and she asked, she was like, do you want to go through with this? And I was like, no. And that was just one moment that spared me from genital surgery because I didn't know, like, you know, even though I didn't 100% feel like a girl, you know, I was just like, well, this is what you should do if you want to be a girl. Um, So I can see why people would make the decision for surgery um, because it's so hinged on normality. But I think for me... Um, it was just that one decision. So when I was able to confront him years later, I told him that, and he didn't have anything to say, but he was very steeped, still steeped in his opinion that he he shared with me. He was like, if I would have seen you as a baby, knowing what I know now, I would have made you a boy and I would have done surgery to create a penis. And I was just like, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. Like, you can assign a gender without doing surgery. It's a complete, you know, head to the kind of messaging that the state gives out in terms of trans care because they're completely anti-letting, you know, anyone under the age of 18, um, you know, socially or medically, surgically, hormonally transition, while with intersex people, they're forcing them to essentially transition as young as days old so actually it's um the hypocrisy and you know it's just shocking danny says informed consent goes beyond knowing the full extent of the surgery procedures it's also about intersex education and breaking heteronormativity like i know they were trying to do the best that they could But again, it isn't just individual doctors that is the issue, it's the whole system. So if these doctors are learning to be doctors underneath a broken system, of course the doctors we're producing are also going to think. Like these people are (laughs) scientists and they believe that the gender binary is science fact. And I think that's where a lot of the issues lies because until I was about 21, I had never spoke to or met another intersex person. I'd never even met a trans person. I barely met any queer people. So how can you properly give someone 
care when they don't have informed consent of the whole spectrum of the human condition. Of course, as a 14 year old, when they asked me, do you want to be a boy or as a girl? And I'd always thought I was a girl and I was already so traumatized by having all of these changes happen to me. Of course, the first answer was, I'm a girl. How could you even ask me that? I was embarrassed that anyone could ask me. I didn't want to be associated with trans people because like, um, obviously when I was younger, I did not see myself as trans because I had been born and grew up as a female and I identified as female. So then suddenly when somebody was asking, am I trans? I found that extremely offensive because I had not had the education um, that I now have. And because there wasn't that kind of like representation in the media and, you know, trans and intersex people are often the butt of the joke. So when I, you know, sort of grown up as normal and then suddenly I hit the most difficult years in any kind of young person's life, for doctors to kind up to me and say like so are you straight or are you gay obviously i'm straight i'm normal are you a boy or a girl i'm i'm a girl i'm not trans like i'm normal so and i just think obviously we have to take into account the kind of situations we're giving that, that care into pushing the idea of abnormality on a kid can be understandably traumatizing especially when the kid knows nothing about the lgbtq plus community and is now convinced there is something wrong with them and I think that's the issue because people try, you know, they offer the surgeries and the hormones, but then they don't think about the repercussions mentally of what they're saying to young people. Um, and it's even worse maybe with babies because sometimes they're not even then told they've had these surgeries. So they grow up maybe forever feeling like, if, you know, there's something wrong with them, whatever. And then they find out when they're finally old enough to get their medical records, they find out, oh, I was intersex and I was operated on five times when I was a child and nobody told me this. You know, and it's just like, what is happening? And how is it not clear that we need to, how is it, how is this kind of reform that we need not clear to everyone? It just boggles me really. But Saifa says there is hope for change, especially as access to education and media on identities like transgender and non-binary become more universally available. I feel like at one time, even though trans people have existed for millennia, it was something that was so stigmatized and so um, pushed to the margins. It's not to say that some trans communities are still not pushed to the margins, but there's the sort of access and the proliferation of trans people, of non-binary people in media, in positions of leadership, in positions of power, that parents literally don't have to be confined and if they're confined, they're confined by their own bias. Um, and I feel like with the growth of social media and the, the widespread availability of the internet, I feel like people can find our stories, right? People can find, there are so many intersex content creators who are actually out here waiting, waiting for people to listen, right? And I think it's just a matter of when parents actually find our stories, whether it be on Instagram or YouTube or any outlet, they're moved. They're moved. They're deeply moved. And, and if they've made these decisions, they're impacted, right? Um, which is why I believe wholeheartedly that this culture of genital surgery that happens to intersex children, that it harms everyone. It dehumanizes the patient, it dehumanizes the parents and it also dehumanizes the doctors. So I feel like 
yeah, there's possibility. There's possibility out there. When we come back, how Saifa and Danny are drawing from their own experiences to advocate for intersex education and to end harmful genital surgery on children. Welcome back. Before the break, we spoke with Danny and Saifa, two intersex activists, on what being intersex means and how heteronormativity and uninformed consent can cause lifelong issues for this community. This is why both Danny and Saifa are advocating for intersex education and fighting against childhood non-consensual genital surgeries. I was very fortunate um, to be chosen as a Marie Sklodosa Curie Fellow. This is the first time, I believe, that the European Commission has funded um, the Marie Curie Fellows in the social sciences. Usually they're in the hard sciences. And this particular uh, fellowship is called the Intersex New Interdisciplinary Approaches Fellowship, or INIA, um, has funded 10 research posts across five European countries, looking at different aspects of intersex rights and experiences. My particular project is sort of looking at equality, diversity, and policymaking in the Republic of Ireland and England. I'm choosing to really focus on social work and how social workers can really challenge medical authority. I get, I, you know, it gets really complicated because I think social workers are, they work really hard, they're burnt out. Um, there's definitely limitations. They're definitely employed many times by the state um, in private uh, spaces and private entities. But I think for me, this work is really about taking a multi-pronged approach to liberation. Because the field of intersex organizing and like the intersex movement, there's so many ways for people to enter. Saifa also co-founded the Intersex Justice Project in 2016, alongside fellow activist Linnell Stephanie Long and Pigeon Pagonis. It was founded in order to create a space for intersex people of color to advance change in the intersex movement. Our, our first campaign, which is the campaign, <laughs> um, is uh, ending intersex surgery. And, you know, IJP seeks the end of harmful genital normalizing surgeries on intersex children and young adults um, and mobilizes and supports intersex people of color to advance that change. Um, one, of the one of the most momentous parts of the campaign um, was the three-year campaign against Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago that and that resulted now mind you the lurie decision was a result of years of organizing by um by trans communities allies um people many who were in chicago who really supported ijp in our effort to get lurie to change um and that resulted in a decision one an apology um that was issued to intersex people who have been harmed at Lurie Children's Hospital, as well as a moratorium. It was a six-month moratorium on surgeries for intersex people, with an exception for 
children with congenital adrenal hyperplasia. Um, I think the surgery stopped for patients with CAH as well, but now there is a scheduled a symposium that's supposed to take place either virtually or in person in 2022 to actually discuss um, and debate sort of whether Lurie should offer these surgeries to um, CAH children, particularly um, those children who are assigned as girls. My position is always no surgery, but this is going to be interesting. This is going to be interesting. So the Lurie work doesn't stop just at their decision. When Danny decided to come out in 2019, she knew she wanted to stop feeling like intersex was too taboo of a topic. So she created a platform where people could talk about it and meet others and feel like they belonged. So she became intersexy on Instagram and she started her project, Interface, a portrait series to showcase the intersex community. Basically just gives me the excuse to meet up with other intersex people and take their beautiful portraits um, and sort of hear their stories. And this is kind of why I started that project is so that I could, you know, hear more about my community, really, because, again, um, we don't often have the excuse to meet up. So this gave me a really good excuse to meet up with them. Um, I'm also in the process of recording my own podcast, um, where, again, it's kind of an extension of the photo series to kind of give literally um, other intersex people a chance to, you know, show their voice. Um, I know I'm very privileged in having a bit of a platform and, you know, I'm not like the only intersex person on the planet and I also have many privileges which intersect with my intersex, (laughs) very tongue twistery, um, identity. So there are so many other intersex people, you know, like I said, that have a completely different experience to me. So hopefully that is what that photo series and um, podcast series will will show. But at the moment, Danny is taking a step back from her activism. I feel like there is so much, you know, white noise, especially with um, digital and online activism. Um, uh, and if I'm honest, I don't feel that educated about this kind of thing because, again, I am intersex, but because of, like, even as an intersex person, I don't know much about being intersex. And that's shocking. You know, I think this is kind of now for me. Danny will be attending Oxford University to get her master's degree in gender studies. When I came out, it was really amazing because I got to talk about this thing that I was so ashamed about for so long. So just talking about my personal experience was extremely rewarding. But, you know, after, you know, the third year of doing that, I'm kind of like, wait, what am I adding to this conversation? Like, what am I actually changing in the real world? So, yeah, this is kind of the plan. So I'm going to take that kind of year out to really um, contextualise my own experience and hopefully come away as a stronger, you know, not only activist, but also ally and person and sort of understand my own experience and where it sits within the wider history of not just intersex history, but also queer history as a whole. I absolutely love it when people sort of DM me on Instagram or send me an email and they say, you know, my child has just, we've just found out my child is intersex. Like, it's so refreshing to sort of see um, you living as an out intersex person and, you know, thriving. And I think the first and foremost, we need to have, yeah, intersex people involved in intersex care so that people who then find out they're intersex aren't so afraid that this is going to be the end of their life. 
you know, that they're never going to find a partner, that they're never going to be able to, you know, be themselves, that they're never going to be able to, um, you know, be open and honest with the people in their lives because you 100% can. (laughs) I really want people to get very curious about themselves Um, because I think often we silo intersex issues, right? You know, people learn about it and they're like, oh, wow. They're like, I just heard an intersex person talk or I follow this intersex person on TikTok or Instagram. But I really want people to get curious about their own bodies. Um, because I think by people getting curious about their own bodies, it, it, it sort of begs the question, what becomes possible? So I think that's number one. I think number two is just you know, more visibility. Um, I personally find the intersex experience like inherently queer. Um, I relate a lot to trans people and the trans experience, but there are a lot of different ways to be intersex. There are a lot of cis people that are intersex. Um, There's a lot of um, cis straight, you know, women, men. Um, So just again, to reiterate, not all intersex people are queer or identify with the queer community or with the trans experience at all but just for me personally I think there needs to be more intersex and trans representation because they go so hand in hand Um, I think both of our causes really lift the other up and I think that's really beautiful Um, and just worldwide again just more education like in younger schools because if inclusive queer education had been included in my sort of primary schools that's I don't know what that is in the states but you know, from ages maybe like five to 10, um, this this could have been spotted so much earlier, you know, and any of the medical complications that I had could have been avoided. And, you know, they would have essentially giving more choice to the individual. Um, and, but obviously this is um, talking about my personal experience um, uh, as somebody who found out when they were like 14, 15. Um, Because there were so many signs and they were completely missed because there is so little education. Like the doctors even like missed. Now looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, if I had known this, this would have been the first thing. You know, if I was a doctor and I had all this education that I now have about being insects, there's no way in hell I would have missed this because it's such clear pointing signs. But, you know, I went to several, several, several doctors about, you know, stomach cramps, um, not getting a period, different things, different things. And it was never spotted. And it's just crazy to me that that even happened. Saifa says extending education in schools could be a part of the solution, but there are many obstacles that need to be addressed. I feel like I spoke with a medical student recently who is revamping some curriculum. This person attends UCLA and we were talking and they were saying that the curriculum at UCLA in the medical school literally changed 20 years ago. And the curriculum is still taught by white men in their 60s and 70s. So even if the curriculum changes, the people who are teaching about this change, that's not changing. I feel like a lot of the prevailing attitudes is shifting slowly, but many of the attitudes, in particularly with regard to people with sex variations, it's still steeped in the 1950s. It's still steeped in this sort of that a child can be surgically changed and that through nurture, the nature-nurture debate, through nurture, through gender socialization, that they will adapt to that gender. And it's not true. I'm proof of that. Many of us are proof of that. Um, and so I think 
When I say the 1950s, I mean these very rigid gender roles of like male and female, man and woman, that still stay with us today, right? Um, many of the, like the surgeries, it's really for children who are assigned female, it's about preserving fertility, regardless of how that child may identify when they get older. It's about engaging in penetrative vaginal sex um, for boys. It's about peeing standing up. It's about penetrating a vagina. There's so many assumptions that are made around gender and sexual orientation. Um, so I think this is an issue that queer folks should get behind for LGBT folks to get behind because what intersex people are experiencing is not just um, interphobia, right? But it's also homophobia, transphobia, and heterosexism. I think the common misconceptions that I would like to clear up or address um, is that I think there's often a conflation of trans and intersex. Whenever I tell people that I'm intersex, people are like, oh, what's that? Or they think I'm like super sex positive, you know, because they're like, oh, you're inter intersex. Um, and it's, it's not really an understanding of like intersex people or intersex experiences. Um, and I think something that has often come up in the intersex community is the feeling of the eyes sort of being added on. And, you know, I would really like people, especially in the queer community, folks who are listening, is that I really would like people, if you want to be intersex inclusive in your work, in your organization, actually engage intersex people and let it not just be a one-time event, but actually like ongoing. Um, because I think our lives are not just confined to our young adulthood or our infancy or our surgery. Like I think intersex lives are very expansive. Um, and I think it requires people to, um, really get curious, really get curious, really educate themselves. Um, because I think that's how we're going to advance this change. And then, of course, the um, the stop to the non-consensual intersex surgeries, which I think in many countries, or maybe not countries, but sort of like individual hospitals, and then maybe in some countries, they're trying to ban them. But then there are also, of course, many loopholes because, um, you know, the one, of course, if it's to save a child's life, completely fine but then there are doctors and parents that find loopholes to get their children to have the surgeries even if it isn't life-threatening but you know there's so many loopholes that you can end up then harming a child um, and again it's so difficult to manage when it's sort of st state sanctioned violence because you can't go to the police and you can't go to the doctors and you can't you know go to the government because they're the ones that are inflicting the harm. Saifa stressed that the health concerns go beyond infant surgeries. I mean, there are people who have intersex variations who haven't had surgery, one. But also, um, when people have had surgeries, this is a healthcare issue that affects the life of the individual. Um, for me personally, using myself as an example, having been castrated at 13, was placed on feminizing hormones, 
um, that cause a lot of body dysphoria. And then sort of like developing osteopenia, which is like sort of like a precursor to osteoporosis. Like, I don't know, somewhere in my late 20s, early 30s. Um, and I've, I've talked to different folks who have different variations and many have expressed like having, you know, brittle bones, having um, issues with, you know, if they've had surgery, having issues with scarring, having loss of sensation, um, other sort of healthcare issues. If, you know, um, for people who, who are assigned male and who may have breast tissue, um, the issue of like breast cancer or mammograms, right? Um, but not being able to get mammograms because people were like, oh, you're a man, why are you in this space, right? Um, there are different health issues that people that people with sex variations experience that are literally being ignored and not treated so you know for me i really want to look at this as like holistic affirming attuned health care for the life of the individual october 26th is intersex awareness day and intersex day of solidarity is on november 8th it's a huge deal that this community is being celebrated, but there's something to be said about how little attention they receive and what more we can be doing to raise awareness on these days and every day. I think this is such an important point because still to this day, I feel so often let down by the queer community, which is really heartbreaking to say. Um, because like I've said many times before, you know, you go to gay pride, you go to trans pride, there is thousands and thousands of people marching alongside you. And then it comes to the 26th of October and I would be hard pressed to find, um, you know, a, a march, a rally, anything. Like we did a couple for the last couple of years in Berlin and, you know, God bless the people that, um, you know, turned up, but we're, we're, we're maybe pushing 30 if we're lucky. And it is just heartbreaking because we turn up for everyone else, you know? And I feel like because we are some of the most marginalized and erased and, you know, forgotten people within the acronym, um, yeah, we, we are kind of just forgotten. And um, it is really heartbreaking because even, you know, okay, maybe a march is um, quite a lot of work for someone if I'm being like completely understanding but then even you know when we're talking about um, you know non-binary trans um, rights in the media we're often left out of those conversations as well you know it, it, it often goes as a pair trans and non-binary people and it takes so little work to just include the intersex and you know you could argue that many intersex people identify as trans or non-binary so they're covered within that umbrella but no I spent so long looking for that, you know, sign or the word intersex to make me like explicitly aware that I was included in this conversation. And still to this day, even within friends, allies, we're like, you know, it, it doesn't happen. So I think that is a hun that I hope on Intersex Awareness Day is a point that people um, really take on board um, because I think a lot of the time people don't want to you know and I get it like if you're fighting the good fight you don't want to confuse people even more you know if you're already talking about trans rights and non-binary people have just come to terms with both of these things you don't want to throw a very intersex size spanner into the mix but that just says to us you know you're you're part of that erasure if you don't include us now and um, yeah I think that is what I'm asking from allies this year 
like every year, you know, um, it's just that inclusion, like, we're not just the I at the end, we're not just the plus on the end, um, we, we need to be explicitly included within conversations about, you know, non-binary trans and intersex rights. If you were to give one piece of advice to maybe it's yourself when you found out you were intersex or say one thing to any kid who's in a similar position to you or and even if maybe they don't, they just feel like that could be it or that there's just something, what would you tell that adolescent kid who's going through what you went through? Yeah, this is so cheesy, but it's just the truth. Like just absolutely like there's nothing wrong with you essentially. And, you know, don't be afraid to look outside your immediate circle for inspiration on how to live your life. You know, that I love that saying, you can only become what you can see, or you can only be what you can see. I can't remember what it is exactly, but it, it is that is just the truth. Like, if you can't see queer people, trans people, intersex people thriving, you can never understand that that could also be you you know so I think that is what I want to say to you if you're listening to this is that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you um if the people around you are making you feel that way there then you know that is just not the environment that you need to be in and that is completely their issue and not yours and there are so many of us out here like it's honestly insane I remember when I first met my intersex person I was just you know it was so traumatic for so many for so many years and I'd meet someone and it would just be a mess I'd be crying and they'd be so put together I'd be like how are you not how is this not you know this huge healing experience and they're like honey I've met like 300 intersex people like you're not my first (laughs) I'm like oh my god there's that many out there I didn't even know there was this many in the world you know and I'd be there mascara down my face like why is this not a big deal for you (laughs) so um yeah I would just say there's so many of us out here and just find us you know if if you're an if you're young if you're too young to leave home you know just hold tight keep your head high and do your best because it just like gets better and you know you can you can come find us soon so that's what I would say and with the internet it's so easy it's so much easier I wouldn't say it's still easy but it's so much easier to find your community so yeah just look outside your immediate area and you're loved and you're cool and I can't wait to meet you (laughs) so where can you connect with Danny and Saifa so on the internet I am I think I'm kind of only on Instagram I'm if I'm honest I don't really understand Twitter or Facebook anymore Um, but yeah I'm on Instagram at inter underscore sexy um and yeah my email is also on there if anybody's listening and wants to get in touch um and have a chat feel free and yeah that's kind of where i'm at i am still i'm willing to work with anyone at ijp who wants to advance change um intersex justice project can be found on instagram as well as online and people are welcome to connect with me. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Cypher Emerges. But yeah, and I will still be continuing to do the in-ear project here in England. And yeah, if people want to collaborate on research, if people want to collaborate on advocacy, curriculum development, organizing, please, please, please reach out.
Pride is a production of Straw Hut Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Then follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pride, and tune in weekly for new episodes. Be sure to share this episode with your friends and subscribe for more stories from amazing queer people. If you'd like to connect with me, you can follow me everywhere at Levi Chambers. Pride is produced by me, Levi Chambers, Maggie Bowles, Ryan Tillotson, Caitlin McDaniel, and Brandon Marlowe. Edited by Silvana Alcala and Daniel Ferreira. Sound mixing by Silvana Alcala. I know you said you feel like you're one in a million, but it's really more like one in a thousand. Yeah, 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 exactly. 1.7%. But then I just want to point out that, okay, 1.7%, but my variation is rare a bitch. So I have won the lottery. Uh, like, do not try and like homogenize my experience, please. Thank you. <laughs>